Hey, Real Talk listeners, welcome back. We have a new series going on today. Oh my God, the voice of HR, Michelle, Michelle. We have a lot to say. HR is such a hot topic, especially in the last 12 months when this pandemic has made things freaking crazy for us. So today we wanna talk through a couple of pieces. I'm gonna have Michelle segue into that here shortly, but we do have a special guest for you all today. We have Sam Better. Welcome, Sam. Thank you for having me. Hey, hey. Well, it's good to have you. Um, I guess before we kind of get into what this whole topic is about, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm I'm a uh, global HR director for for a uh, HR outsource company, and uh, have been with the company with my current company for about a decade, a little over a decade, and and of course have have also worked in some of our Fortune 50 companies over the years. I specialize in in my current role in kind of working with our go-to-market function, uh, which is the marketing, sales, account management, all those fun things. And I deal with that globally in in multiple jurisdictions. So that's that's my primary role. I also dabble in lots of other different things and have owned uh, recruiting and talent management and uh, compensation and things like that in my past as well. So So you're pretty well-rounded. Little, pr- pretty well-rounded. I've, I've, I've got my opinions, but I, uh, <laughs> I, I'm definitely well-rounded. Well, we can't wait to hear about your opinions on this episode. So um, I'm going to then take a, a take a turn over to Michelle. Michelle, what are we talking about today with Sam? What are we going to have him be super opinionated on? So, you know, it's welcome. We love opinions here. Um, so one more is just even better. We also love to debate. Sometimes we will, you should know, you know this because you know Maria a little bit. Maria will sometimes take the uh, the opposite opinion just so she can argue with you, actually. So we can't wait to dig into it. But guys, one of the things that we've noticed, while we're almost coming on a year anniversary of this podcast not too far off. Um, And our listeners have found we have opinions about HR, lots of them. And often our opinions might push people into places of discomfort. Uh, We also believe that in a lot of cases, HR needs to play a different role than we currently play in many organizations. If HR will, will be effective at contributing to that organization. People aren't all ready to hear that. I actually came from an organization where we were pushing hard to change the boundaries of what HR did. And I've been gone six months and it's already gone back to party planning and hosting um, tastings from all over every month on three shifts in a production environment, which is just crazy. And then HR gets all that glory for being cool to the team members. I think that's why we have that. I know I'm rambling a little bit. It's why we have that reputation of being the cool department to work for. Like you guys are the fun guys. Mm -hmm. And for the record, we are fun, but we also take what we do very seriously. And we know the impact it has on an organization. So What we wanted to do in this series is bring in various HR representatives and various organizational leaders and really talk about what is the value HR brings to the table when it's done well, when it's done in a true partnership with both the operational 
departments as well as the HR team. So what are your favorite things about being in HR? Oh, my goodness. To me, HR, if done right, is an extension of the business's mission, right? And and so in the group that I support, I don't actually go on site and try to sell to new customers and do those types of things. But I know that the work I do, both strategically and sometimes when I'm in the weeds with them, are are things that help them drive business in the company. So I'm the HR guy, but I get a seat at the table. I help make sure that we equip uh, the employees and the managers and all those players in, in the game, right, to, to have what they need to be able to do their jobs and, and to be able to work and, and not have distractions, you know, for things like how do I performance manage or my benefits or any of those types of things. So you've, you're, you're removing barriers for them and you're helping them do their job. And at the end of the day, I mean, and, and, and if you're in the right organization, that organization lets you be part of that celebration and mine does, you know, and, and I think so that's probably the, my favorite thing is knowing it's not necessarily that I accomplished this great HR program, but it's that we got a $10 million client because of some of the things that I, and I, that I had a part of that, right? Or if we win and we save a client or if we do something like that. So obviously, I deal a lot with the groups that are more externally facing within the company. But knowing that I'm an extension of the business and, and that the work that I do is, is a vital part of that, that's what makes me smile when I head home at night. Love that. Love that. Okay, so now the opposite. And it doesn't even necessarily have to apply to your organization. You probably hear rumors every time you bring a new leader on board about what HR was like at their previous company. And and obviously, you've built relationships within the HR community. What frustrates you about us? I mean, I, I will say you shouldn't deal with that too much with bringing somebody in because if your company values HR, they're going to select people that know how to work with HR. If you bring in a new leader, for one, you know, the leadership structure, whoever's bringing in this new leader should have you as part of that interview process, right? You're part of those things, especially if you support at a strategic level. And so that should be one of the boxes when you have to check when you bring in somebody that they have, they know and understand HR concepts and how to work with a partner. But if you happen to be in an organization that doesn't do that, they're really just worried about more about the bottom line or whatever that person can bring. You know, I think my my least favorite thing that I have to do from time to time, not often, but my least favorite thing that I have to do is explain to people my value as an HR. What is an HR business partner, right? And and in those occasions where it happens, where somebody comes in. So my company went through a merger two or three years ago. And so I ended up supporting somebody new in the midst of all that. And his first thing was, what's an HR business partner? Why do I need it? Right now, maybe he knew and he was just testing me. But selling the value of having that partnership is, is probably not my favorite thing. I like to prove it more than I like to explain it. And so I'll say, hey, here are the things I'm going to help you with. Here's some of the strategy, the talent planning, the you know, succession plan, all those types of, of, of really kind of high-level activities. Here's the things I'm going to do. But really what I want you to understand is over the next three or four weeks, you're going to know my value, right? And, and to do that. So that's, it's my least favorite thing to have to indoctrinate somebody. I would rather have people who value and put you at the, give you a seat at the table right at the beginning. But if you have a good product, which, you know, we do in my team, it's easy to make a believer out of folks. 
So two things. I'm I'm usually very forgetful, but I've been holding my fingers like this the whole time, so I wouldn't forget any of them. So the first thing you said about HR being part of the interview process, I actually just want to do a a bit of a plug to some of our podcasts called Shut the Culture Up. Guys, when we talk about culture in the workplace, Sam just described what the point is in aligning someone as a cultural fit, right? It's not about, do you look like me? Do you talk like me? It's about, do you understand the principles of how we do business and the importance of HR? So guys, just to plug, go back to our first four podcasts, culture is important and a cultural fit is more important than you'll realize until you hire the wrong person. Second thing, it's actually a little bit of frustration on my part and it it really was brilliant. And I'm not frustrated with you. I'm frustrated with the world that we've created. So I want to take two support partners. So if you guys could see my hands, you would know exactly what I'm doing here, but I've sort of built a circle, right? So in my world, there's always someone that's sort of the operational aspect of of a business, right? That center entity, whether it's customer-facing retail, manufacturing, whatever it is, there's always a group of people that do the work that generate the revenue, right? right? And then there's a ton of departments around it. You could have HR, you could have sales, you could have finance, keep going, right? And in my mind, all of those departments should be built in a way to help those people in the middle do their jobs most effectively, right? I've never gone to an organization where the finance team has been told, can you prove to me the value that you bring to the table? So I don't know what it is about HR. And maybe it's because we just struggle for so long to get that seat at the table in so many organizations that we accept that question. But I've truly never had anyone look over at the sales team and be like, what exactly is your value here? Yeah, well, I mean, listen, we've, we, you know, as, a, as, as an industry, the human resources world has not pushed its agenda along probably as much as it should have over the years. So there are still organizations where, you know, HR is a bunch of generalist order takers, right? And, and, and they don't have a strategic HR business partner module or, or, or model, rather, and, and, and those types of things. So when you get people in, they have to under, you know, they're not used to it. I think it's most, it's more the the fault of that is on HR organizations more than it is the business leader, right? Because, I mean, again, you know, in my example, I had someone who hadn't dealt with it before. Right. He's on the phone with me every other day saying, hey, here, I want to strategize about this. I want to do this. He's pulling me in his meetings now. So it's really, I, you know, I hate to hate to, to blame the, uh, the disadvantaged entity here, but HR teams don't do a good job of kind of pushing that agenda. They get caught up in things like policy and procedure and gatekeeping and doing those types of things instead of understanding the business, right? Understanding how the business works, not just, you know, how I've got to do things, but understanding how the business works. And when you can speak intelligently about non-HR things, that are relevant to the business when you sit at the table, you will always be invited back, right? If you can do that. So I, I, I think a lot of HR organizations are probably very rudimentary. They're put together in a very rudimentary way. And as a result of that, they're just, hey, I, I need to, somebody's leaving, so process that for me, right? That, that type of thing. So I, I think one of the most important things, and Maria knows this about me, is you, you have to build business acumen if you want to be a successful 
strategic HR business partner. And I, I would say that's even at the individual contributor level, not, you know, I, you know, I'm a director, I have people report to me and things like that. Certainly it's important, but even if you are starting out your career in human resources, you should be understanding more about how business works and, you know, what are these, you know, things like what's, what's EBITDA and, and, and revenue and what are these things and how does this company work and how do I understand the eccentricities of our product line or any of those things? If you don't know those things and you only know how to do HR, because yes, it's true, you can do HR anywhere, right? You can do that. But if you want to be an effective partner that's that's pulled in, you have to make a commitment individually, but also I think a leader of an HR organization has to make that commitment that they're going to you know, provide partnership and they're going to provide opportunities for their team to gain and learn knowledge and, and build acumen in the company that they're in. If you don't have that commitment from the top down in an HR organization, I don't, I don't think it stands much much of a chance to be a, a trusted partner. Agreed. I would you know, also elaborate on that is if you can't understand those aspects of the business, you, how would you ever get to a place where you can connect activities to business results, right? right. That Those things happen. You'll find some folks in HR who, when you have a conversation with them, they can just immediately rattle off. If we do this, it will impact X, Y, Z, right? And that's because they understand their business well enough to know that trickle effect of performance or policies, whatever it happens to be. Absolutely. Yeah, agreed. So there's another um, challenge that that sort of leads to that previous statement sort of leads to, it's a challenge that I've seen in HR organizations I've worked for in the past. And it's that we don't talk operationally based. In fact, I can, some of us, I'll put that disclaimer in there, don't talk operationally based. So if one of the first steps to get there is to understand the business, what would you encourage people to start doing immediately? Because they're not going to go work a line. Well, listen, I, I think there's some value when you're coming in, you're supporting a group, spending some time shadowing. You know, I, I think when you come into, an, an, especially if you're coming into a new company and you want to understand some things, there should be time set aside and you should request from whoever your hiring manager is to build in some time in your onboarding schedule to be able to sit with like a rep that's doing the work, right? Or sitting with someone else that's coding software or something like that to kind of understand and, and be able, you know, to kind of touch and feel, well, touch and feel may not be the best HR term, but, you know, kind of, kind of, uh, 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 you know, really kind of get a, a personal experience with how that work's done, right? Because that helps you get understanding pretty quickly. And then you start to connect the dots. You know, you may not understand how what this one person you sat with affects this other person. But once you kind of go through and you meet with all those folks and you have people from the from the business that help explain that, you can draw the, connect those dots. I think that way. So that comes pretty natural to me. I know not everybody does. And I think, you know, so that's the thing I would challenge folks to do if you're going into a new organization. And, you know, aside from all the things that we learned about, you know, from the first 90 days book and those types of things is to really dive into the business. Part of that is the discovery period, right? And you have to discover more than just how the HR organization you joined works. You have to understand how the business works. And so you, so you can you know, affect change, 
provide a satisfactory product to the business, those types of, you know, items. Yeah, I mean, I agree. But, you know, it's interesting because, Sam, you and I know not everybody. And as Michelle mentioned, not everybody does this. They don't get to know the business. They just come in and they just start going to work on their initiatives or their projects or their strategic pieces from an HR perspective. And then someone calls them up and they're like, "Uh, yeah, okay, so so start from the beginning. Like, help me understand Mm -hmm. like what what you're complaining about. And so, like, you know, I always challenge everybody like, hey, you're brand new from an HR perspective, like, all right, you're going to go sit with, you know, you know, a customer service agent, take the job description and update it while you're sitting with them, right? Because then you're actually fully getting to know what they're doing. And you're doing the business kind of a helpful thing by updating the JD while you're sitting with somebody, right? So I mean, that's always that's always a good pointer for everybody. But yeah, yeah, nothing more frustrating than when a when a manager comes to someone who's been with the business for a while, it comes to their HR partner to explain a situation and they have to sit and remediate about why this was a performance issue. Right. They shouldn't have to do that. You should understand it. And when they use the lingo or all of, you know, the the vernacular that each each company has, it's unique to it, right? You, that person should understand it, understand what that person's job was that the, or the employee's job was. I know that from my own past experience prior to being in HR, that was frustrating for me. If I went to my HR partner, and, and certainly I have on the few occasions where I haven't been as well-versed in an area that I should have been, I've sensed the frustration on the part of the business leader. So. Uh, you know, the Wendy's company did that really well, that onboarding process, regardless of the role you took on, you were required to work in a restaurant for several weeks. Right. You were also required to sit with the customer service team so that you understood the level of customer service that they expected. And then they would do switch days where you would get to partner with someone in a different department to understand them. So um, not all companies have that set up. I think you nailed it when you said ask for it, but it will help your job progress a lot faster. I also find that particularly on the OD L&D side of the world, one of the frustrations that I've encountered most of my life is what I like to call pixie dust. It's like the training department has some kind of magic fairy dust and when things go wrong, we sprinkle it over and everybody comes out happy. In fact, I was um, on LinkedIn the other day. Someone I follow on LinkedIn was talking about the ship that was stuck in, I'm going to misspell it, the, the canal. Suez. Suez. Suez Canal. Suez. Yep. And, um, and she made a joke on it. And she said, we should feel sorry for the hundreds of ship captains that will now have to sit through two weeks worth of training as a result of this. Um, But often that's what we do, right? We throw training or we throw a policy or a procedure at a problem. What is your approach to pause when you have leaders kind of gung-ho? How do you pause them long enough to say, let's get the real root cause and get to a real solution? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the level of leader, right? Obviously, if if it's frontline leaders, that's that's a it's a different approach. I, I guess the best way to answer is this: is is that here's the outcome you want. You want you want to and and then work backwards, right? So the outcome you want is to make sure that there is a solution that you collaborated with to come to, right? You you don't want it to be I'm HR and I'm saying no, and you can't do this. You don't want it to be that they bully you into doing something that you're 
thinking you wouldn't normally do and create some undue risk for the company. So I, I, I think most situations that I deal with, I think in terms of, okay, what's my desired outcome? And let me work backwards from that on how I want to approach this. And I think that's, and I know that's very philosophical, not, not quite as a direct. Well, at the end of the day, Sam, I mean, training's just a bullshit response to say that we're. Oh my God, Maria just cussed. It can be, it can be. We're, we're just being reactive. That's the bullshit response. Like literally we failed to create a policy or conduct a standardized training for someone that they should have known. However, at the same time, sometimes you have to just create training because someone like, it's like literally laws and speed limits signs are in place because someone messed something up and they ruined it for the rest of us. Right? So essentially there's times where we have to do investigations or someone has to go through some sensitivity training which is a new popular one, especially, you know, in 2020, you know, because someone says something to offend somebody else and they, you don't think like, you think it's just normal human being response to not say a racial slur during a manager meeting or something, you know what I mean? Like you just think it's just normal, but then you are throwing again, a bullshit training to something that's typical human like reaction, like you would just think someone be like human. However, every culture is very different. And, you know, every, every person is very different from all walks of life on how they grew up. So at the same, at at the, at the end of the day, you hit a point I was going to say there, right? I I think what you're saying makes very clear sense if you're in a pure U.S. world, right? But I, I, and you and I both know this, Maria, when you, when you manage Globally, you do have to deal with cultural nuances and differences and things there. That's why I, I, I don't always feel like training is a bullshit response because sometimes I think training is necessary. It's part of a bigger program, right? But I think training is necessary to, especially if you're in a global organization, to build some common understanding that helps us kind of bring some commonality in the midst of all of our differences based on different countries and things like that that you're in. So I don't know that it's a bullshit response. I think it can't be the only thing. It can't be that this happened because people are ignorant of this fact. In in most cases, they're really not ignorant. They did something stupid that they knew better than to do. Let's just be honest. (laughs) So, but, but what does that do? The training gives us an opportunity to kind of remember what we're doing, what, you know, what we're about. It gives, you know, if a training is just purely a sensitivity training or something like that, then maybe it doesn't ring as, as uh, it, it doesn't apply as broadly. But I, I, I think if you can, if you contour trainings and things like, you know, any kind of tool like that to address the situation at hand, but also to remind everybody, here's our core values. Here's what we're about at XYZ company or something like that. I, I think that's important. I, I, I do think that those aspects and those responses are, yeah. Oh, no, I agree. And obviously... Michelle is our training guru, so is Keith, and we we all kind of partake in that. So um, we we are very large proponents of making sure everyone has training and development. I think it's a bullshit reactionary response, right? Because it it's something that could have been proactively approached. Should you think through all the the pieces from an HR perspective? Sometimes, not always, but you try to create as much trainings as possible on the front end, so you don't necessarily have to feel like it's an emergency fire drill. That's that's right. That's right. And then you take away the ignorance aspect, right? If people do the training, they can't plead ignorance. Yeah. You know? So then you then you have then you can pinpoint to a different issue, right? That, that that's you know, hey, this is somebody that it's, it's bad behavior or it's there's something deeper going on that we've got to dig into. 
But yeah, if you if you do proactive training, obviously you remove a lot of those. You remove that from being the go-to response. I like the idea of starting with the what is our goal though, because ultimately what that allows you to do, and and I'm going to keep using training as an example, because Maria, you and I have seen it done well in a couple of situations where um, I worked for an organization where there was a mandate that everyone needed recruiting training. Every manager in the entire organization needed recruiting and interviewing training. Truth is they probably did need interviewing training because they were asking some pretty bad questions. But how you would recruit in South Carolina was completely different than how you recruit in uh, San Diego. You know, the people they were targeting as their employees didn't live in the city, so they couldn't just randomly walk around. So in that particular instance, they gave the training department the ability to consult with their operational partner find out exactly what the challenges were in that market. And then they were able to adjust the training to fit that need. And as a result of that, what we saw where the training was adjusted, we saw 10, 20% increases in staying in position as well as decrease in position post time. We saw those movements. We could actually talk to them, but only because we had the ability to adjust. I think that just asking the group to slow down and, hey, let's talk about what our end goal is. Okay, now let's work our way back. We also saw it, saw it done really well at FedEx with, um, with a packing solution. Uh, they needed to lower claim cost, so we needed to make sure employees were packing effectively. We targeted very specific stores that were struggling. As a result of that, we saw movement. If we had taken that training into the top 10% of the organization where they're already packing phenomenally, it would have been a waste of payroll. It would have been a waste of everyone's time because they're already doing what they need to. Um, So when you're given that flexibility to look at the greater picture, it helps you get where you want to go. Yeah. Listen, it it goes back to the discussion earlier about a, a strategic HR organization versus a tactical one, right? And in There are so many times and I've seen this like with leaders and with new hires that come in or teammates that I have that are just like, well, we got to do this because every every company has this and we got to do this and we got to do that. And they're not solving for a problem. They're trying to fill in gaps to bring some familiarity to their new role that that kind of brings something from where they were before. And I think that's that's a huge pitfall, right, is to say, well, everywhere else I've been, they've had this. You know, if you're not starting with what we're trying to solve for, and, and working back from that, I think that's that's the difference. And that and that really shines through with the business. They they understand that, hey, you've got me doing busy work and I'm not really sure the value to me. So I that's that's really a big in anything, training, recruiting programs, and in uh even even when it comes to developing, you know, our 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 kind of talent development cycle and 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 those things, it's it's we have to identify the problem we're solving for or the goal that we're trying to reach. And, that, and, and and help the business understand that. Otherwise, it's just bullshit work that HR is making us do. It is. Like, for example, my favorite thing, which is holiday parties. Oh, gosh. I cringe every time I say this. Or pool tables or, you know, pick whatever your fun gimmick is, a company picnic, whatever it is. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you have a great organization, 
those things are definitely a bonus. It's totally a bonus to have see people celebrate, you know, everybody's birthday for the month. Those are totally things that are great. However, Sam, I want your advice. Okay. Imagine you're talking okay. to someone, let's say at a director or above level within an organization who has historically been classified as the party planner or the taskmasters, mm-hmm. right? They want to move to a place of strategy. Give me top three actions they should start taking to get to a better place. Here's the thing I would say. In my organization, we remove that primary party planning from HR. And so I'm going to talk more strategically. What we did was we set so now it's run centrally from HR. But what we did is we decided, okay, each of our office sites and in different areas, we would put together what we call a kind of a culture committee or a culture club, sans boy George, right? But, but you know, a culture committee that just is kind of people from the business. So that, you know, understanding that, the, that each business line would have people that would join this committee and be part of those plannings for any holiday parties or a cookout in the summer or whatever. And now it gets run centrally by somebody in the human resources group that meets with all of those leaders of those individual uh, culture committees and does that. But I, I, w- I will tell you, it's it's a tough sell at the beginning. But I think when everybody else gets a everybody gets a voice and your employee population gets a voice in what happens, th- there's pretty quick buy-in. So if you're asking about three things. I can tell you that's one thing that's huge. Now, it's a big undertaking. That's not just an action. That's a whole program. But I, but I do think that selling with leadership that HR shouldn't be the party planners, the, the employees should come up with those things. Now, this is where HR does kind of have to be the gatekeeper, right? Because we know shit can get out of control. And, and, and so you, you do want to make sure that you're kind of watching that. That's why it's still, you know, in our organization, run centrally out of HR. But I, but I think you get that buy-in from leaders and, and you certainly get more satisfaction out of them, right? Because a lot of times, you know, we're playing a party and people just, you know, I, I, I work in a site where people would rather just, you know, hey, if you're going to make me do a party the last two hours of the day, just let me go home and hang out with my family, right? You know, that type of thing. So what do we do that really engages them? And you only find that out if they're involved with that decision process. So that's, that's one thing. And that's a pretty big action. I think two, stop engaging when they ask these tactical things. Say, you know what? What's, what's the bigger thing that you're trying to solve for here? What's the bigger thing that we're trying to do? Why are we doing all that? You know, but I don't know. Discourage them. I don't want to say don't be helpful because that, that's certainly not the game here, but make them understand that your value is probably more on real strategic things rather than how to party plan. And you can do that. And it's a, it's a delicate balance of making sure that, you know, you're not emoting that their concern about that is not important or something to that effect. But I mean, I, I, you know, and, and Maria knows this about me. I, I just, if it's, if it's trivial, I don't deal with it, right? If it's not going to have big impact, it's, it's not worth, it's not worth big time investment for small impact. And I think we have to be, you have to be mindful of that. Now, if somebody says, hey, we got employees quitting right and left. We need to order a bunch of pizzas. You better believe I'm on the phone with Domino's or whoever, right? And, and we'll do that. But I do think, because I know it's going to have impact. But, but I think that's the biggest thing is first, you got to realize what's strategic and what's operational and tactical. And the best litmus test for that is, okay, how much, how much am I going to have to do versus the benefit to the company, right? And, and so that's the other one. So you have to kind of think in terms of that. I don't, and, and 
Maria knows this as well. I, I question, why am I going to spend this much time doing something like this? And it's really not worth anything. You know, my, my, my value and my job satisfaction is based off of how well I can impact the organization. I love money too, don't get me wrong, but the real big driver for me is how well can I impact the organization? If I ever lose impact, like even at my current company, I've been here for over a decade. If I ever feel like I don't have impact here, I'm out, I'm going somewhere else. So make sure that you're you're providing true impact and if, and that's one of the ways. So you can't move to a more strategic mode of operation as, as an HR partner if you don't really understand what is strategic. You know, what does have that bang for your buck? And, and I think you've got to do that. It's an efficiency question, but really it's more of an impact question. Great point. So, you know, just to, you know, wrap up here, any other tips of advice? You know, the next couple of um, episodes, we're going to be talking to not only HR individuals, but also leaders and organizations. And they could potentially be leaders that support HR. And we've all had those leaders that don't necessarily have support with the HR team. So what advice would you give to those leaders uh, or HR professionals that are listening that have those types of leaders to really give them a little bit of feedback on really being a little bit more open-minded on, you know, or how to navigate some of those leaders with the challenges that they don't have the, the true voice of HR and in, into their pockets and their mindset. Well, I, I can tell you with, with me when I, you know, I talked about the leader who came in after the merger and I, you know, I, I kind of talked to them about what value I provide, but then we also did some expectation setting. I think it's one of the things that HR business partners, the, the true HR business partners, maybe probably don't do enough. We like to set as an HR organization a lot of times a scorecard on how we service the entire company. But one of the things I've worked on, you know, I'm, and, and it's just kind of near and dear to my heart because I'm working on you know, a more robust one right now is my line of business. What, what is that scorecard? And not just a scorecard about metrics and, and things like that, but what, you know, again, what do we want to solve for? What do we want to look like at the end of this, of, of 2021, right? And, and how can HR solve that? And setting those expectations early on, but be careful what you do, right? They're going to hold you to it as well. And, and you have to follow through. So make sure that you're realistic in the expectation setting early on about what you can do for them and what you will affect, or at least your efforts and, and the programs that you're driving will affect and how you collaborate those. So I think that's the biggest thing and making sure that they are part of that decision process and what the expectations are. That's the first step. You can't convince them any other way other than to, at least right at the beginning than to set the right expectations. And then, then it's about delivery. You, know, you, only, you only prove by delivery. You know, the other thing I would say too is making sure and I, you know, I, this is kind of my advice for, you know, working for your boss and different things, but I think it's the same thing because, because, because you're a dotted line report to the senior leader in your business line that you support. Right. And so to make sure that, that if there's something that's not working, they hear it from you, right. They hear it from you and what your action plan is to fix it. That builds the trust that builds the vulnerability in the relationship and the trust. And I, I, I think that goes just as well for your direct leader and, and all of that. I think that's going to be super important, but if you, if you build the trust and you and and they know that you have the best interests of their line of business in mind uh, and have all the actions that you take from an HR standpoint, I don't think you can go wrong from there. Well, you heard it first, listeners. If you are an HR, 
build your trust with your business partners. If you're a leader in an organization, make sure you're open to building that trust. Sam Vetter said it, so make sure you do it. Until next time, thanks listeners. Take care. Bye.